You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Let's open up to Genesis 25. And we're going through the Bible verse by verse, if you're new with us. We're going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We started in January. We're here halfway through the book of Genesis. We're now in chapter 25. And it's been a fascinating study. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, this prophetic picture of a bride for the church, right? This bride of Christ. And uh, today, another prophetic look. Today, the title of the message, a prophetic look at the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh versus the spirit. How many of you are aware that you're, if you're a born-again believer, you have two natures? A carnal nature and a spiritual nature, a born-again nature. Uh, and uh, these two are at contrast with each other. And today we're looking at this battle, a prophetic look at the flesh versus the spirit. Uh, so chapter 25, verse 1. Uh, let's look at this. The story uh, continues on Abraham here. Abraham again took a wife. We looked at last week, and uh, Sarah had died, the love of his life, uh, his bride of his youth. And they had experienced so much together in their journey of faith. Uh, she was there when God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And she walked by his side, and she began to learn about the true and living God through Abraham, her husband. And as he began this new journey of faith, and she saw God's faithfulness, and, and uh, their life together grew, and they saw God's amazing blessings time after time, uh, and she died in our uh, last uh, study. And so now Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Uh, Abraham was 137 years old when Sarah died, and he remarries after that. Uh, but he lived to be 175, so it's good, right? It's good that he remarried. And I want you to know, uh, it's a beautiful thing uh, if you lose a spouse to find love again. It's not bad. It's not against God's will. And I think it's so important that as a spouse, when you are married, that you give your spouse permission, like you talk about those things. You say, hey, baby, I want the best for you. Uh, I want you to remarry when, when, if anything ever happens, God forbid, uh, and uh, Abraham here remarries. And crazy, look at this, right? He marries Keturah, verse 2. And she bore him Zimram. That's quite a name. Uh, Jokshan, uh, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Or in other words, she bore him, count him, six more sons. Crazy! At 137 plus? Amazing. What's fascinating about this to me is we know we studied the life of Abraham and Sarah. She was barren and she went through menopause, right? And when she went through menopause, she said, hey, I don't think God's going to keep his promise with me. You better take a surrogate wife and have a child through her so we can help God fulfill this promise. Big mistake, of course. And that was Ishmael, right? And then, it, then Abraham becomes 100 years old, and his body 
quits being able to reproduce. Uh, he goes impotent, right? And God restores him. God restores Sarah. And man, can I tell you, he restored him in a big way. Here they are, uh, 137, and he has six more kids after that. Just amazing. Like when God does a work, he does it, right? Uh, <clears throat> Uh, verse 3 is the name of these six sons, uh, 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 the kids of these six sons. I'm not going to read them. Uh, verse 5, we'll jump down to there. Uh, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. I want you to underline those words. Super important. We'll talk about it. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. I want you to say that with me. What does he mean, all that he had? His full inheritance, the covenant blessing that God had given him. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Very interesting. When we make a last will and testament, when is it executed? After we die. But here we see something very interesting. Abraham makes a last will and testament. And what does he do? He executes it before he dies. While he was still living. He sends these sons of Keturah. Away to the country of the east. Interesting. What is going on here? Uh, this was a very wise move. Uh, he wants the full inheritance of the Abrahamic covenant that God made with him to go to his son, Isaac. Abraham remembers, oh, I had Ishmael. That was a mistake. That wasn't God's best for me. I messed up. And when Ishmael began to grow, what did God say to do with Ishmael? Send him out. For the child of the flesh has no inheritance with the child of the spirit or the child of promise. And so knowing God's will, Abraham here, we see him do something very wise. He plans in advance. He prays it over. He meditates on it. He knows what God's will is. And he puts his house in order. Abraham puts his affairs in order and he says, God's covenant is with Isaac, the child of promise. It's not that he doesn't love these other children, but he knows God's will. Isaac is the child of promise. And to avoid any disputes over the promised land. There would never be any disputes over the promised land, would there? Uh, yeah, if you read your newspaper, you know what a joke that is, right? Uh, Hamas, ever heard of them, right? Uh, uh, they they would love to blow up Israel. Uh, Iran would love to blow up Israel. Uh, the Palestinian liberation, uh, they would love to wipe out Israel. Uh, and there's different ideas on who the land belongs to. God made it very clear. And God, Abraham knew God's will. And so with great reverence, to avoid any potential disputes, Abraham uh, still gives his, his other kids gifts, but he says the inheritance, the covenant, 
the, the, the blessing that God has uh, goes to Isaac. And Abraham drives out the children of the flesh. Very important. Abraham drives out the children of the flesh while Isaac, the child of the promise, stays in the promised land. The title of the message, as I mentioned, is a prophetic look at the flesh versus the spirit. And here we see there are fleshly things that want to encumber the promises and the blessings of God. And if we are going to value the promises of God, we, know, we have to know what the, the will of God is, and we have to walk in the ways of the will of God. Uh, we have to value these things. And here we see Abraham doing that very thing. The children of the flesh have no inheritance with the children of the promise. And so this is true for our life as well. We're to drive out the things of the flesh that we might walk in the promises of God. The Bible says this uh, multiple times. Say it with me if once you recognize it. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What does that mean? It means sanctify yourself. Cut off the things of the flesh. Don't go after the things of the world. Cast out those things from your life. And draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He wants to want you to walk in his will. In Colossians, it tells us, see then that you walk circumspectly. That's an interesting word. What does circumspectly mean? Carefully. See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Life is short. Because the days are evil. Did you notice? There's sin all over. Uh, I went to the dog park yesterday. It's hard to walk in the dog park and not step in. And it's hard to go outside and not step in sin. And God says, hey, listen, I want you to separate yourself from the things of the world. I want you to separate yourself to me. Abraham is holding on to those promises of God, and in his life, he's saying, I have great reverence for what God wants, what God's word said, and I'm doing that. And here we see his wisdom in it. This wise and prayerful forethought of Abraham uh, reveals his reverence for the Abrahamic covenant that God made with him. And this is amazing to consider, because we're going to read, Abraham dies at 175 years old. He's preparing for that right now. Uh, how old was Abraham when God made the covenant with him, if you remember? 75 years old. It's been 100 years. He still has no land in the promised land. God hasn't given that to him yet. But he's holding on to the promises, even though he hasn't received it. And you know what we see here? We've learned a lot from Abraham. Uh, here we see what it looks like to have faith, what it looks like to be a man of God, what it looks like to hold on to the promises of God. Let me share a verse with you if I can. Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Two strong words, substance and evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 
Had Abraham seen the promised land be given to him yet? No, but we see the substance of his faith and the evidence of his faith by his actions. Do not tell me, well, I just have faith. Uh, faith is revealed in our actions and in the substance of our life. And here we see Abraham's faith being lived out. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and by it the elders obtained a good testimony that they pleased God. God is pleased with your faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Abraham held on to the promises of God, and he's saying, I believe in the promises of God, and I want to cast out all the things of the flesh so that these promises of God, I can walk in them in their fullness. And it's a great example for us. May we hold on to God's promises as dearly as Abraham did. Amen? Uh, now we're going to see Abraham's life uh, coming to an end. Uh, by the way, uh, Abraham sent the sons of Keturah off to the east. Where is east of Israel? That is Saudi Arabia. He sent them off to quite an inheritance. The Arabian nations are now what? Oil rich and very wealthy. And they are the sons of Keturah from Abraham. I'm sure the Jews are going, hey, why didn't you give that land to us, right? Like that, was, that would have helped, right? Uh, uh, but let's look. Uh, here we're going to uh, see that Abraham comes to the end of his life. Um, let's pick it up in verse 7. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived. 175 years, long, healthy life. And Abraham breathed his last, I love that, and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. We look at this and we go, oh, no, I want you to know, oh, I want you to know, this is the way that it's supposed to work. Uh, death is God's design. Because we have this battle with the flesh, this sin nature that's in us, and this, there comes a time when this corruption, the Bible says, must put on incorruption. And this mortality must put on immortality. Uh, and then God's uh, full act of redemption will be totally manifest in our life as we then are given a glorified body without sin, I want you to know this is not a broken system. This is God's design. And the Bible says that we're only here. Our life is just a vapor. 175 years is a long life. But in the chronicles of history, what is it? It's just a vapor. Here for a moment and then gone. In the chronicles of eternity, what is it? Oh, it's less than a... And that's how God sees it. I want you to know you are here for a very short time and you are here for one purpose and one purpose only. To make a decision about God's love for you. God is manifesting his love for you through his grace every morning. When you woke up this, sun, this morning, the sun was shining. Do you know what that is? A manifestation of God's common grace upon all men. He waters your plants with rain. He gives you food to eat. He's made... Uh, I just had a bagel. He made grains taste amazing. Uh, 
uh, I had a Thanksgiving dinner last night. Uh, he made turkeys taste awesome. I mean, you know what that is? That is God's grace, common grace on all men, his love being revealed to all. Is, do you not marvel seven billion people on the earth and God feeds them all? Do you not marvel that, uh, and God does something. Not only does he give us his, show us his love by this beautiful world that he created, but he also shows us his love through his son. That God so loved you that he would leave heaven and become a man and go to a cross on our behalf that we might understand the depths of his love and that we might be cleansed of our sin because he took our sin, he took the punishment of our sin on his own back. He loves you that much. And so the purpose of this life, the whole purpose of our life is to decide, what am I going to do with this love of God, this love that God has for me? Do I want to respond? And Abraham's life, uh, he responded to that love. God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and he began to reveal his love to him, and he does the same in our lives and uh, now Abraham's life has come, come home, and Abraham has graduated. He's now gathered with his people. Verse 9, and his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from his sons, excuse me, from the sons of Heth, uh, there Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. Uh, very interesting. Uh, uh, here he, he owns no, no land in the promised land. The only land he, owe, he, owe, he purchased was a burial ground. He had tons of money. Why didn't he purchase any land? He could have bought tons of homes. Why didn't he? He was waiting on God's promises to come into fruition. And he's buried in, in the, the cave that he bought there. And uh, the Bible tells us, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The body returns to the ground where it came from. And your spirit returns to God where it came from. Wow. This is why God created you. Your body returns to the ground where it came from. You were formed from the dirt. The same trace elements that are in the soil are in your body. Magnesium, phosphorus, uh, iron, zinc, all these things, right? Uh, you're made from the dirt. Your body is not who you are. You are a spirit. You are created to be in fellowship with God. And your spirit will live forever, eternal. Your spirit is eternal. And you will live one way or the other. You will live eternally. And here it says, Abraham breathed his last, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The body goes to the grave. The spirit goes to God. If you've ever had a loved one pass, you've seen this. I remember my mom, my dad, uh, loved them so much. And I remember, you know, being by their bedside thinking, oh, I would do anything to just have more time with them. And then the moment that they pass, it's different. It's just different. It's just a shell. The spirit leaves them. And that one that you would do anything for now is just a dead body. It's just the craziest thing. You can see it. And it's because this truth is, is real. 
And uh, so Abraham here, he, he goes, he passes. Uh, and look what it says, verse 11. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahoroi. Um, uh, Abraham's life comes to an end. And what an amazing example of a believer Abraham has been with God. Again, God called him when he was 75 years old. He's now 175 years. He walked with God for 100 years. Wow. And oh, how God built him over that time. The book of James calls Abraham a friend of God. What a accolade to be given. Uh, a friend of God. And Abraham, uh, he had been preserved by God through all of it. Did Abraham go through all kinds of trials? Absolutely. Did Abraham do it perfectly? No, he messed up all over the place. He lied to the king of Egypt, said his wife was his sister. He did the same lie to Abimelech. He took uh, Hagar as his wife and tried to have make God's promises happen in his own strength and, and made a lot of mistakes. But God cleansed him and forgave him of all of them and he walked with God. And when he messed up and he blew it, what would he do? He'd bring his sin to God. He'd, he'd build an altar. He'd make an offering and get right back on track. I love that. This is what God would have us do. Uh, and uh, Abraham did that, and he models for us what it means to be a man of faith. We've learned so much fr from him. And in a, I love what it says, in a good old age, verse 8 tells us, in a good old age, you know what that means? It means he had all his faculties. Uh, he was still, uh, had his mind, you know, he just in a good old age, he's buried with Sarah. Uh, and, you know, I, I want that. Uh, I want to be buried with my wife. Uh, I know that that doesn't, you know, but it just, that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. Um, and I, I want you to know, when I pass, uh, don't cry. Uh, don't shed a tear for me. Uh, that is, we're, I'm going home. And I'm going to take my last breath here, and I'm going to stand before the creator of the universe, who loved me so much that he took my sin on a, on a cross, and I'm not going to stand there in my goodness and anything that I've done. I'm going to stand there in all his love for me. And he's going to look me in the face. And I'm going to look into my creator's eyes. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Now enter into the joy of your Lord. And I'll experience the fullness of all that I was created for. I long for the day. Uh, my kids hate it when I say this, especially my daughter. Dad, don't say that. I'm like, uh, hey, uh, rejoice for me when I go, man. Rejoice for me. Um, in a good old age, he's buried with Sarah. Uh, and he's got a good reputation. Uh, he's been a, uh, his, even though he lied to Abimelech, over time Abimelech saw what a good man he was. And he came and respected and admired him. Abraham had esteem from all his neighbors, from all his sphere of influence. And here at his, at his funeral, look who's there. His sons are there, Isaac and Ishmael. And the family is together because of his good spiritual leadership in the home. And his sons are officiating his memorial service. I mean, what a life. And he walked with God and he's 
seeing God's faithfulness. This is the fruit of a man who walks with God, and we see God's faithfulness on his life. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, the Bible says. And even if we stumble or fall, and we all do, Abraham did, uh, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And even if we stumble or fall, we will not be cast down, for the Lord upholds us with his hand. And Abraham has been upheld by the power of God, and now he stands and uh, enters in, you know, uh, just amazing, just amazing. Here's the question for us. Where will you go when you die? Where will you go when you die? You know, it's, what's, it's, that's the most important question we could ever ask. This is the most important question we could uh, even face in life. And you know what's so interesting? We hate that question. We don't even want to think about that question. But it's the most important question we can think of. Where will you go when you die? It says he breathed his last. What does that mean? It means that he gave up his spirit. Breath in Hebrew is the same word as spirit in Hebrew. He spirited his last. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, body to the grave, spirit with God. He breathed his last. And then it says, verse 8, and he was gathered to his people. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean a cave in Machpelah. Because there's only one person there. That's a bag of bones. That's Sarah. He's not talking about being gathered to a bag of bones. What's he talking about? He's talking about all the saints of old who knew God and walked with God. And he was gathered to his people. Where was he gathered to? Do you know? He didn't go to heaven. Where did he go? Well, the Old Testament tells us he went to a place in the Old Testament that was called Sheol. That's a Hebrew word. Uh, in the New Testament, there's a Greek word. It's called Hades. And he went to Hades or Sheol. Jesus would tell us in Luke chapter 16, Jesus would tell a story. Uh, we don't have time to go into it. I wish we did. But he tells a story of two people who go to Sheol. One of them was a believer, one of them wasn't. The believer that goes to Sheol, he is comforted. It's a place of blessing, Sheol. The unbeliever, it was a place of torment. And he says, I'm in anguish in these flames in Sheol. Sheol is not hell, by the way. It's a waiting place. And Abraham, when he died, he goes and he was gathered to his people in Sheol. Jesus taught us in Luke 16 that in Sheol there was a gulf between the two. There was a place of blessing where only God's people could go, and there was another section uh, that was a place of torment. Very interesting, we no longer go to Sheol when we die. When we, go to, when we die now, where do we go? We go to heaven. Jesus told the thief on the cross, what did he tell him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, why the difference? Why did Abraham and, and uh, all the, the David and Moses and all the men of faith, women of faith of the Old Testament, all the saints, why did they go to Sheol? Why? And why it is now the thief on the cross? Everyone from Adam to the thief on the cross went to Sheol. 
Why? Because Jesus hadn't died on the cross to cleanse us of our sins. And our sins, the Bible says, Isaiah 59, 2, our sins separate us from God. And so in the Old Testament, they believed, but they weren't cleansed of their sins. When they would uh, sin, what would they do? They would confess their sins on an animal. That animal would be sacrificed in their, in their place. It was, a, play, it was a, 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 a theological term called penal substitutionary atonement meaning my sin goes on that animal and that animal dies in my place. The death I deserve, that animal gets. Uh, but the book of Hebrews tells us it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can cleanse us of our sin. Well, God, I'm confused. If it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can cleanse us of our sins, why did you ask for all these sacrifices? Why did you ask for them? Here's why. To show us a preview of who? Of Jesus. The one who will be able to cleanse us of our sin. So all the Old Testament saints, even though they gave sin offerings, their sins weren't cleansed. They were just forgiven. But they weren't cleansed of their sin. And their sin separates, us, separates them from God. So they can't go to heaven. So they had a place called Sheol, where God kept all the souls uh, until Jesus went to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross, and he was in the, uh, in, you know, in the grave for three days. And the Bible tells us something, what happened during those three days. Fascinating. Guess where Jesus went? He went to Sheol. And the Bible tells us he preached to the spirits that were in prison, that were in prison there. And you know what he preached? He, went, he didn't go to the, to the bad side of Sheol. He went to the good side of Sheol, and he said, hey, guys. Everything that I taught you about, everything that you believed, the covenant that I made with Abraham, it all happened. I am the Messiah. I've been vic victorious over death. I went to the cross on your behalf. And the Bible says he led captivity captive. He took them up into heaven. They're no longer in Sheol. The thief on the cross and Abraham went to heaven on the same day. Just amazing. Just amazing. Uh, here's a verse that shows that for you. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, let me hear you read this in a unified voice. When he, that's Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Let's pause there a second. When he, Jesus, ascended on high, when did he ascend on high? Well, Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he resurrected, and he stayed on earth in his resurrected body for how long? 40 days so that he could show all people that he did really res resurrect from the dead. And after 40 days, guess what he did? He ascended on high. And after he ascended on high, on the 50th day, he ascended on the 40th day after his death. On the 50th day after his death, what did he do? He gave gifts to men on the Holy Spirit, came upon the church and gifted the church with spiritual gifts. Are you tracking with me? And that's what this teaches. When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He went into Sheol, and all those who were there waiting for the Messiah to come to cleanse them of their sins, he takes them and he brings them and he takes them up into heaven, and he gave gifts to men of uh, the church. Now, it explains it for us. Read with me. Now, this that he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lowest parts of the earth. Rest of the verse. 
He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill or fulfill all things. What a miraculous plan of redemption planned out before the history of the earth. Uh, how amazing, how amazing. And uh, again, it begs the question, where will you go when you die? Uh, now when a believer dies, we're absent from the body, we're present before the Lord. Can I tell you something? All those who died who were not believers, guess where they still are? They're still in Sheol. They're still in Hades. From the time of Adam all the way until today, they're still there. What are they doing there? Well, they're waiting for something. Do you know what they're waiting for? The great white throne judgment. Nobody is in hell yet, you might want to know. Nobody's in hell yet. They're all in Sheol or Hades waiting for the great white throne judgment. And Revelation tells us, after the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign, where Jesus comes back to earth and rules and reigns from Jerusalem, physically and bodily, as the king of the whole earth. Can't wait for the day. Uh, a thousand years goes by, and afterwards, he's done with the earth. and He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And at that time, it's the time of the great throne, white throne judgment. And everybody who is in Sheol or Hades will stand before him at the great white throne judgment. And the Bible says that two books are open. Do you know what they are? The book of life and the book of remembrance. And the book of life is open first, and they look for your name, John Smith. Oh, John Smith, I'm sorry. Your name is not in the book of life. You never believed in God's love for you and accepted all that Jesus wanted to do for you. Your name's not in the book of life. So we go to the other book. And in that other book, all your actions are written down. And God judges you by your actions. And you know what the Bible tells us? Not one person makes it through that judgment. Because sin separates us from God. And all of sin fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, you may not think your sin is a very big deal right now. That abortion you had 15 years ago, that sexual imp uh, blunder that you made uh, five years ago, uh, those drugs you took way back when, yeah, all that's forgotten. I mean, all that, it's not forgotten. It's all there. It's all recorded. There's only one way to have your sin absolved. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if the blood isn't over the door of your soul, the angel of death will have his way with you and you'll be eternally separated from God. We're going to live one, with or without God one way, for, one way or the other. Where will you go when you die? Oh, it's the most important decision you can make. Uh, life is short, man. Make the right decision. Um, uh, I'm burning the clock. I'm going to skip verses 12 through 18. Uh, there we get a genealogy of Ishmael. And uh, uh, I'm not going to go into that genealogy. I will say this. It, we learn there that Ishmael had 12 sons which is exactly what God promised Ishmael uh, back in Genesis 17. And just as uh, Israel would have 12 sons, uh, Ishmael had 12 sons, and God made a mighty nation, nation out of him. 
and Ishmael's sons live in the Arabian Peninsula from Havilah to Shur, and, and God keeps his promises even for them. Um, but now uh, our study of Abraham's life has come to an end, and now the Bible is going to turn our focus, a new section in Genesis, the Bible is going to turn our focus to Jacob and Esau. Uh, so let's take a look, verse 19. Uh, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. You would think it would say, this is going to be the father of a giant nation. You would think it would say, Abraham begot a million people, right? No, Abraham begot one, Isaac. Verse 20, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as a wife. You would think that if God was going to make a great nation out of him, he'd start having kids at 16 and he'd have tons of grandkids, right? No, he doesn't get married till he's 40. And, uh, and here's what we find out. Look at this, verse 21. And Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, because why? She was barren. And we're going to learn he pleaded with the Lord for 20 years because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, I love this verse, she said, if all is well, why am I like this? Here's a loose paraphrase of that. Lord, if I'm yours, why is this so difficult, right? Uh, we're going to learn, we're going to see, she had the worst pregnancy on the history of the earth. She's in turmoil. And she's like, God, if I'm yours, why am I having such a hard time? You ever ask that question? That's what Sarah, uh, excuse me, Rebecca's asking, God, what the heck? And the, uh, and so she went and inquired of the Lord, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. She goes, oh, I thought so. <laughs> two people shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Interesting. There's a battle going on inside you. One is stronger than the other. But in the end, in the end, what's the, what's the surprise twist? The older will serve the younger. Interesting. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins, twins in her womb. We read that and we forget. They didn't have ultrasound back then, right? God told her she was going to have twins. And guess what? She had twins, right? And look at this. This is hilarious. And the first came out red. He was hairy like a garment. He looked like a rug, right? Uh, so interesting how kids come out so different. And this child was just like a, a, a fur ball. Uh, <laughs> hairy like a garment all over. And so they called his name Esau. You know what Esau means? Hairy. They called him fur ball. I mean, what the heck? Verse 26. And afterward, his brother came out. And his hand took hold of Esau's heel. And so they called his name Jacob, or heel catcher, or swindler, or deceiver. That's what Jacob's name means, deceiver. Uh, here, crazy, right? This battle, she's got this pregnancy, and it's pregnancy from alien planet, man. I mean, her belly's moving all over. She's in pain. These kids are fighting in the womb. 
And they come out, and Jacob's got his hand on Esau, like, you're not getting out first, right? And, and Esau gets out first because he's stronger. The flesh sometimes is stronger than the spirit. Oh, we're starting to see God's doing some things. And look at what it says here. Afterward, his brother came out. His hand took hold of Esau's heel. So they called his name Jacob or heel catcher or, or swindler. And Isaac was how old? 60 years old when she, when she bore them, which means that Isaac prayed for his wife for 20 years. Lord, please let her get pregnant. Please let her get pregnant. You look at this and you say, God, what the heck are you doing? Is this not a weird story? This is a weird story. That's okay to say. And I want you to consider this. God told Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to be a multitude of people. The Messiah is going to come through. You're going to have so many descendants. Well, God, I tell you what, this is a slow and a strange way for you to build the promised nation of Israel. Think this through with me, if you will. Abraham was 75 years old when God told him, I'm going to make you a great and mighty nation. But they can't have kids. And it's 25 years of barrenness before she finally has one child. That's not the fastest way to build a nation. At 100 years old, Abraham finally has a kid. His name's Isaac. And then stinking Isaac doesn't get married until he's 40 years old. Dude, I mean, come on. That's a slow way to build a nation. God, what are you doing? Uh, to make things even more complex, God said, yeah, uh, I know normally the firstborn gets a birthright, but we're not doing normal. This time, who gets the birthright? The second born. And you say, God, what are you doing? Why are you making this so complex? Not only that, but the second born, his name, deceiver. Or in other words, he's a weasel. And that's the one that the promise is going to go to? God, what are you doing? What are you trying to teach us? What are you trying to show us? I want you to know something about life. When you go through life and you can't understand what God is doing in your life, God might be doing something bigger than you. Can I give you a giant newsflash? Not everything is about you. I know it's hard to believe. But God might have a plan that is bigger than you. And can I remind you of something? You are God's servant. God is not your servant. And sometimes I think we get that turned around. I am sure Job had no idea why God was doing all this in his life. And can I tell you something? It wasn't really about Job. Who was that for? That was for us. The oldest first book in the Bible is the book of Job. That you might know that there's a spiritual battle for your soul. And bad things happen to good people. And life isn't fair. And you can rise above it in faith. First book of the Bible. It wasn't about Job. That was written for you. And sometimes God does things in our life that are bigger than us. Uh, God, what is God doing here? God is trying to teach the Jews, who are going to be a mighty nation, and God is trying to teach us 
something important, an important lesson. It's the same lesson that God is trying to teach you today and me today. Do you want to know what that lesson is? It's the most important lesson. Do you want to know what it is? Or should we just go home? <laughs> this is what God is trying to teach the nation Israel. And this is what, before, before it's born, the nation Israel, before it's born. And this is what God is trying to teach us. Zechariah 4.6. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, 2,000 years later, when Jesus, the Messiah, did come to the earth, as he promised, when the nation Israel was giant and flourishing, and God came to it as the Messiah, as he promised, this Messiah had a problem with the nation Israel. What was the biggest problem the Messiah Jesus had when he came to the nation Israel? What was the biggest problem? Let me hear from you. What was it? Unbelief? Did they have unbelief in God? Oh, tough to answer that, right? Uh, what was the biggest problem that, that he had? Self-righteousness? Well, here's, here's the biggest problem he had. They had misdirected faith or misguided faith. Uh, they, their, their faith was in the wrong things. You know what their faith was in? Their faith was in, we're sons of Abraham. Their faith was in their religious performance. Their faith was in their own righteousness. Do you know why they didn't see the need for a Messiah who would die on a cross? Because they didn't think they were sinners. That's why they didn't. Their faith was not in God. Their faith was in their own religious performance. Their faith was in their own ancestral genealogy. Their faith was misguided in the wrong things. And therefore, they had no need of the Messiah. This was the problem Jesus faced with Israel. They were God's chosen people, but instead of putting their faith in Jesus, they are putting their faith in their own self-righteousness. I'm a good person. They are putting their faith in their own religion. I go to church. They are putting faith in, in their, their ancestry. I'm a son of Abraham. Uh, in John chapter 8, they said, we have Abraham as our father, as they were mad at Jesus. Then you know what they said? At least we weren't born of uh, fornication we have abraham as our father wow do you know what they just said to jesus self-righteous to the max faith in your own religious performance and to combat that god knowing that would come god did something he birthed the nation israel very slowly and very painfully to show us from the beginning that the rich promises of god are not by might. Not by might. What does might mean? Might means not by human effort. As in Ishmael. No, no, no. The promise is not going to come by might. Nor is it Will you put that slide back for me? Not by might, not by power. Nor is it by power. What is power? Well, human strength. 
religious performance, nationality, birth order, religious merits. Oh, that's Esau. No, Esau, you're not going to get the birthright. I don't care if you are the firstborn. I don't care if you are a son of Abraham. It doesn't come that way. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by what? It's by my spirit. And from the beginning, God was showing the nation Israel this truth. It's by my spirit. And if you were here last week, you remember the spirit always does one thing in our life. It points us to Jesus. The Spirit is God, a person of the Godhead, and He always points us to Jesus, the salvific work of Jesus. And that's how the inheritance, that's how the blessings of God come. This was God's message to Abraham and Sarah, who were barren for 25 years. It's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. This was God's message to Isaac and Rebekah, who were barren for 20 years. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. This was God's message to Jacob and Esau, who were both the husband, the, excuse me, the, the child of one father, the father of promise. It's not by might, it's not by birthright, it's not by power, it's by my spirit. And that is the only way it will ever come. Nevertheless, when Jesus came to earth, the Jews were trusting their own goodness and their own religious merits. They missed the whole lesson of Jacob and Esau and all that God was doing in the, to build the nation Israel. And therefore, they could not put their faith in Jesus because they put their faith in themselves. And your faith cannot be in two camps. Who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Before we say, what a bunch of fools those religious Jews were, let's make cer certain that we're not trusting in the same things. Well, I'm a good person. Well, I'm a member at the of the Mission Church. Here I am at the 945 service in my seat. Don't sit in my seat. That's my seat. <laughs> be careful. Be careful. Is our faith in Jesus? How do you know if your faith is in Jesus or not? Well, just take a look at your life. Where is your dependence? Where are your affections? Where is your love? Are you setting yourself apart for the things of God? Uh, where are you at? We see God's wisdom in this ultra-slow start, this ultra-slow birth of building the nation Israel. Uh, look at this. It took 85 years for Jacob and Esau to come. From the time where God made the covenant with Abraham until Jacob and Esau is 85 years. God's going to make a great nation, and in 85 years, we have a population increase of three. Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Three in 85 years. Seems like God's promises aren't going to come true of a great nation. You want to know something amazing? In the next 400 years, they went from three to three million in 400 years when Moses took them out of Egypt. God keeps his promises. You can bank on them. 
And even though you may not understand why your life is going the way it is right now, God is in control. He's doing a work. I want to finish our time together uh, by looking at this crazy pregnancy of Rebecca. What is all that about? I mean, <laughs> she looked like poltergeist when she went to the grocery store, right? I mean, what the heck is all that about? The most, most brutal pregnancy in the history of the earth, right? What is all that about? And she asked God, God, if I'm in your will, if all is well with me, why am I like this? This is brutal. And look at God's answer to her one more time in verse 23. God says, two nations are in your womb. Two nations? Yeah. One of the flesh, one of the spirit. Interesting. Look what else he says. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. What's that? One of the flesh, one of the spirit. Next week, we're going to do a study on Jacob and Esau, and we're going to see Esau was a man of the flesh. There's battles going on, and notice what he says. One will be stronger than the other. The flesh is often stronger, unless we're walking in God's spirit, right? There's battles going on. But notice this. The elder ultimately will serve the younger. Let's break this down as we wrap up. Jacob and Esau are a prophetic look at the flesh versus the spirit. Esau is a picture of our flesh. And our flesh has one goal. Do you know what the goal of your flesh is? What is the goal of your flesh? Your flesh has one goal. To satisfy its appetites. And man, you have a lot of appetites. You seem to be hungry all the time. You seem to be thirsty all the time. You have a sex drive. You have a pride drive. You seem to want to get patted on the back all the time. You seem to want to be told you're pretty all the time. You're, you have a lot of appetites. And the flesh has one goal, to satisfy its appetites. And they're all carnal. Food, drink, comfort, lust, pride, etc., our flesh places no value on God or God's word. It only thinks about pleasing the self, uh, pleasing its own appetites. And many people live this way. Here's a verse for you, Galatians 5. Uh, let me hear you read this. Uh, no, I, want, I actually want, I, I know I changed it from last service. I actually want 519. Oh, that is 519. Uh, yeah, that's the one I want. Thank you. I'm not crazy, right? You did just switch it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's read this. Uh, 519. Uh, read with me. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Uh, did you have enough? No, you didn't. Look. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I also tell you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a picture of Esau, the flesh. And the flesh is always 
gossiping behind someone's back, slandering, doing all these things we just read. What a picture of the flesh, man. And some people live that way. They're spiritually dead. Jacob represents a follower of God. Not because he's a good guy, but he values God. And he values God's word. And he values God's promises. And he values God's kingdom. And he has to learn how to walk with God. We're going to find out. He's a swindler. That's next week. We're going to look at all this. But he values the thing of God. And there's an ongoing battle in his life between the flesh and the spirit. This war that was going on in vitro is a picture of the war that goes on in our life now that we're a Christian. You see, there are two births in our life. Which birth came first? The physical birth came first. The birth of the flesh came first. And somewhere on your journey, you understood God's love. Uh, that, was, that was Esau that was born first. And he's hairy and furry, man. A man of testosterone just living for the flesh. And then the birth of the Spirit happens. You have to be born again. And once you're born again, guess what happens? You have a battle raging within you. That in vitro battle is a picture of the Christian life. Uh, here's the next verse in Galatians, Galatians 5.17. Uh, let me hear you read this. For the flesh... Lust against the spirit, and the spirit lust against the flesh. Uh, these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Jacob and Esau in battle. Do you understand? A prophetic look at the spirit versus the flesh that God gave us in this birth of a nation. Wow, just amazing. Rebecca's tumultuous pregnancy is a picture of the battle of the flesh versus the spirit. And I would like to tell you that this battle goes away when you become spiritually mature. But it doesn't. This battle is with us until we get rid of this body, which is why we have physical death, to get rid of this body. This corruption must put on incorruption. This mortality must put on immortality. Then the same will be brought to pass. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It is swallowed up in victory of Jesus Christ, and then our redemption will be completely finished. Wow. Amazing. And God prophesying all this in advance. Uh, as a Christian, uh, we battle this, right? And I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You might be a Christian for 10 minutes or for 30 years. You still battle this. And every day we have to battle it. And you know what we have to do? We have to die to our flesh. And that's exactly what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, pick up your cross, how often? Daily and follow me. For the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit lust against the flesh. These two are contrary to each other. They're fighting like Jacob and Esau in vitro. And, and you, need to, you need to, but if you deny the flesh, you'll walk in the power of the spirit. And uh, how amazing. The fruits of the spirit are awesome. Look at this verse on the fruits of the spirit. Um, uh, you know what? I didn't even put that on there. I thought about putting that on there, but I didn't. Um, uh, uh, you can look at the fruits of the Spirit. They're in Galatians 5.22 if you want to. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control. 
uh, against such there is no law. And those who walk in the Spirit crucify the lust of the flesh and its desires that they might walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, if you want to read it later. So uh, there we go, man. There is the picture. How amazing that God set all this up. There is a battle going on. Uh, I want you to know some people act like they've got it all figured out and they're no longer in a battle between the flesh and the spirit. No, I'm just so spiritual. Yes, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I started praying. I prayed for about two and a half hours. I prayed for you this morning. Wow. Don't act like that, man. That's fake. And when you gather at church and when you gather in mission groups and in small groups, man, be real. We all go through this together. I don't care if you're the pope, a pastor, or a pauper. All of us go through this together. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And we have to deny our flesh daily. And do we do it perfectly? No, we mess up, man. We mess up. And when we mess up, what do we do? We're honest about it. And we mess up all the time. I'm your pastor, but I mess up all the time. And I'm constantly before a throne of grace where I come to Jesus and say, Lord, I blew it again. I did this. My pride. Oh, Lord, I blew it again. My selfishness. Oh, Lord. And I'm constantly coming before him. And it's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. If you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. And he always is gracious and merciful. And he says, no problem. And I don't beat myself up. I don't go, oh, I sinned. I'm such a loser. Oh, I'll do better next time. I never say that. Because I don't do better next time. I try, but I, you know, my, my confidence is not in me doing better next time. What's my confidence in? God's grace on my life. And so I wake up in the morning on Sundays and I go, oh, Lord, I can't wait to serve you. Not because I'm worthy, because you're worthy and you love your people. Uh, here's what Romans tells us. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak according to the flesh, Jesus did for us in fulfilling all of the law for us and by going to the cross, uh, therefore, we are set free. There is no condemnation. We are righteous in Christ. And his mercies are new every single morning, world without end. What a Savior. His name is Jesus. He is the king of all things. He knows your struggle. He has great mercy on your frame. And he says, just come to me. I'll cleanse you. I'll wash you off. Yesterday, I went with my grandson and my son and daughter-in-law and my wife to take little Owen to the park, and we went to the dog park. And you know what I noticed when you walk around in the dog park? It's hard not to step in. Yeah. And you know what I've noticed about walking into the real world? It's hard not to step in sin. And when you do, just run straight to the cross. There's a fountain that flows clean. Can I leave you with one last verse? I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. I want to leave you with one last verse. Do you know what it, what it looks like? For Abraham to have his life walking with God in faith. Choosing not to walk in the things of the flesh to the best of his ability, but honoring the things of the spirit. Well, here's what it looks like. Here's what life in Christ looks like. Hebrews 11, last verse of the day. Uh, read this with me. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. 
and he went out not knowing where he was going. Hang on a second. We've studied the life of Abraham. That's simply not true. Abraham did not go out from the place which he would receive as an inheritance. God told him to leave the Ur of Chaldees and go to the promised land. Abraham went to Haran instead. Abraham didn't do that. He didn't leave his father. Excuse me. Yeah, he didn't leave his father. He didn't leave his nephew. God told him to leave your family. He didn't do that. Why does it say this? Can I tell you why? Because this, he's in Jesus Christ. This is the New Testament. This is Hebrews chapter 11. And this is how God sees his life. All his sin is what? Washed away and his life looks perfect. Wow. Let's go on. Rest of the verse. By faith, he dwelt in a land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose maker and builder is God. Let's go on. By faith, Sarah herself also re received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him, God, faithful who had promised. Is that what happened? No, 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 no. When God told her, you're going to have a son this time next year, she laughed and said, yeah, right. But none of that's recorded. Do you know why? She's in Christ. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And even though we stumble or fall, we will not be cast down, for the Lord upholds us with, our hand, with his hand. And we will get to the end of our life, and all the things we did wrong will be washed away. And all that we will see are all the things that we did that were in righteousness, that looked like Jesus. And we'll stand before him and receive rewards. And we'll be in awe and we'll throw our rewards at his feet saying, Lord, it was all your goodness. All your goodness. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.